My prayer this morning is that uh, these will be wonderful words of life, that we will understand them, receive them, and glorify God. Amen. Did you know that there are only 41 days until Christmas? That's a scary thought. We have different traditions in my country and yours. Um, we, we don't speak of Father Christmas, we speak of Santa Claus. And I've discovered that even some of the traditions around Santa Claus are a little different. You see, all year round, but especially now, Santa is watching in some mysterious way, and he's observing the behavior of boys and girls. And he keeps two lists, the good list and the naughty list. And only those children who end up on the good list will get gifts from Santa. And those children on the naughty list are going to get coal, coal in their stockings. But in all my life, I've never known anybody who receives coal. Nobody. It seems that Santa is overly kind and generous and forgiving. You see, parents, especially when we have young children uh, who are expecting Santa, this time of year is a wonderful time because the children are so good. They're, they're trying so hard to make sure that they're on that good list. But I've never seen anybody make it to the bad list, and that's kind of an amazing thing. And how bad do you have to be? We all know people who should be on that list, but it doesn't matter what we think. Now, I don't know which came first, the idea of Santa being this way or God. Because it seems that people naturally expect that God judges the good and judges the wicked, and that the good go to heaven, the wicked go to hell. But what's interesting, especially in popular culture, who actually goes to hell? How bad do you have to be in order to go there? It seems that when you go to a funeral, whoever has died is assumed that they're in heaven. I, I think we'd call it justification by death. All you have to do is die, and, and you get to heaven. I grew up Roman Catholic, as I said before, and so I've been to many Catholic funerals, and true to form, it seems that every time someone has died, the priest speaks of our brother or sister having gone to heaven. But who could actually be worthy but those few saints that have lived? I mean, hundreds of years ago, Catholics would never have gone, have never taught this way because it was and is a sin to make any presumption about your salvation. Did you know that? A Catholic is not allowed to say, actually, I know I'm going to heaven. They, they cannot have the assurance. It's a sin to claim that you have that assurance. But that's the major divide that Protestants and the Catholics have, is that Protestants are taught, you and I, that we actually can have that assurance. We, we can know for certain that we will be with our Lord in heaven, which is an amazing thing too, because none of us deserves it. We are all sinners. Nobody has the righteousness of their own to present themselves before God and say, here I am. You should accept me now. So Martin Luther, as you may know from studies of the Reformation, uh, this was a huge topic, the idea of how are we 
justified. Now, justified means simply to declare righteous. On what basis can any of us claim to have the righteousness that God requires? And we discover, or Martin Luther uh, insisted, that Scripture taught we can have that absolute assurance that, that we can be justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So faith alone justifies us. Now, what often surprises people is that the Roman Catholic Church also teaches that we are justified by faith. We are justified by faith, but here's the difference. You have to continue to add to that justification. You can lose that justification. You can lose your righteousness. So in the Catholic Church, justification is a process. It's something you always have to be concerned about, always be adding to and hope that at your death, you're fully justified. So that doctrine, it seems too good to be true, but it is true. So we Protestants, and especially those in the Reformed traditions as mine and as yours, we really celebrate the fact we are justified by faith alone. And Paul teaches that several times in Scripture. And then we come to the book of James. And James chapter 2 tells us maybe something different. It scares a lot of people when they hear it. Let, let's, let's consider the Scripture now before us. James, the second chapter, beginning with verse 14 to the end of the chapter, to 25. This is God's word. James writes, the brother of Jesus, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled. That says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. It seems that James might be contradicting Paul, but our view of Scripture says this is not possible. The Catholic Church affirmed this passage and said, you see, you are wrong, you reformers. You are wrong. You believe that you are justified by faith, so do we. But you must also have works. What I want to do this morning is I want to have a very simple outline, really, to talk about 
what faith is and isn't, but I'm beginning with what faith is not, and then what faith is, particularly as James is telling us. So what faith is not, well, it's certainly not just words. In verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one, well done, you do well. The demons believe that and shudder. The implication is, nobody believes the demons are saved, but they've got some good theology. They know that God is one, but it's not the words, it's not a confession, it's not a creed that equals faith. You, you can't simply speak the words and say, therefore I have faith because I can say these words. We do not have faith because we have prayed to receive Christ. I was watching a video many years ago on evangelism. The video was quite good and well acted, one of those really professional churches. And two, two of the men, they're, they're actors, I think they're both church members. And well, one says to the other, well, how do I become a Christian? And the first one said, oh, by praying. I thought, that is not true. That is absolutely not true. When I was ministering in Siberia in January, feel sorry for me, it was extremely cold, but I was listening to somebody uh, evangelize. Now, my Russian never got very good, but it was enough to follow most of what he was saying. And every few sentences he said to the young woman, so do you want to pray? He'd say a little bit more and he'd say, so do you want to pray? Because he believed that if he could get the woman to pray a particular prayer, certain words, she'd be saved. She'd be justified. We don't become Christians by praying. We don't become Christians by what we say. We become Christians by believing in Jesus. That's faith. So now we might pray to express that faith. So I'm not saying when you evangelize that you do not lead someone to prayer. I'm not saying that at all. But it's not the prayer. It's the faith. And the faith must be genuine. Faith is also much more than a feeling. It's not, not just an emotion that we expressed. I've known people who, uh, I remember one time I got a call late at night from a Jewish woman. She says, I've just been born again, David. I thought, wow, that's amazing. The next day it was gone. I mean, wow. We know, a certain, uh, we know of some artists, some musicians and all that, that profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And very soon afterward, no mention. They've abandoned it because it was an emotional response to something. That's not faith. Just looking and remembering, oh, I know it because I felt it one time. That, that's not faith. Just an emotional feeling. It's not a sentiment. It's not a tradition. In my country, almost all of our politicians feel obligated to be Christian, at least to say so. And that what they'll say is, I'm a person of faith. I don't even know what that means, actually. I'm a person of faith because you don't have to listen to them very long, watch their policies, listen to the language that comes out of their mouth and say, well, if that's what a person of faith is, then I, I clearly don't get it. I don't understand. It's not just something deep inside. It's much more. So if you have faith, is it more than words, more than a feeling, more than an emotion? I hope so. Here's what it is. I'm not halfway through, by the way. I have much more to say. 
Because what faith is, is so much deeper, so much more to understand. Faith and believe. In the Greek language in the New Testament, it's really the same word. So we can speak of believe as a verb, faith as a noun, and we really are referring to the exact same thing. Okay, so belief and faith, believe, all the same word in the original language. And it can mean a number of things. To say, I believe, can mean several things. I believe that this is true, or far more. What we do in the original language is especially we look at the, propos uh, the, uh, the prepositions that are used. So, for example, the Philippian jailer says in Acts 16, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas's response is this. Many of you know it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the original does say on. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Most of our translations make it in. Believe in the Lord. But to believe in, to believe on, that is significant. That is deep. It's not like saying, I believe in Father Christmas. I believe in Santa Claus. I believe in this kind of government or these kinds of economics. That's not the same thing. To believe in Jesus, to believe on Jesus, we're talking about a dependence, a reliance. That's what the word means in this context. When you believe, what you're saying is, I rely on Jesus as my Savior. I depend on him, my Savior. That's a very strong word rather than just saying, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe in him. I rely upon him. That's a matter of life and death. So when you say you believe in Jesus, well, let's make sure we understand what we believe. We believe he's the Son of God. We believe that he took flesh. We believe that he lived a righteous life under the law so that when he went to the cross, he was not paying for any sins he committed. He died for the sins that we have committed. We have the death penalty hanging over us. And who pays for it? Jesus. We are not righteous, and God requires that. What does he do? As we believe in him, we receive his righteousness. He receives our sin. We receive his righteousness. Do you believe that? Because that's what saving faith is. Is when we look at Jesus and say, I should have been on that cross. I should be paying for all my sins. But instead, Jesus did it for me, and I am going to respond to that. That's belief. That's faith. Nothing in my hand I bring. Only to thy cross I cling. Faith tells us there is nothing, nothing we contribute. And if we think we can, it's like filthy rags, it says in Isaiah 64. Filthy rags. You can't contribute anything to your salvation. I hope you believe that. There's nothing we can offer. That's the beauty of justification by faith alone. I was trained in Evangelism Explosion. Evangelism Explosion is, is a, was a very, very popular evangelistic tool. And if you're familiar with it or not, what we do is we ask somebody two questions. Maybe you know these questions. Here's the first question. Do you know for certain that you will be with God in heaven one day? So we ask about their assurance. 
Do you know that even if you were to die tonight, you'd be in heaven? Do you know that? Most people say no. So then we say, well, suppose that you were in heaven before the throne of God, and he asked you, why should I now let you into heaven? What would you say? You know what most people will say? I've been pretty good. I've tried to be a good person. I've done many good deeds. I'm faithful to my wife, to my husband. I, I, I've taught Sunday school many times. I've done all these things. I did this. I did that. I did that. And that's not the right answer. Now, we're told what the right answer should be. We're told that the answer should be, well, the reason that I can go to heaven is because I have believed in Jesus as my Savior. Pastor Alistair Begg, a Scottish man who ministers in the United States, he's well known, he criticizes that actually. He says, is that really how we should respond? Why should I let you into my heaven? Because I have believed. And Alistair Begg says, if you say I, because I did this, even if you say I believed, you're on the wrong track. Instead, it should be about what he has done. Think about that. We normally do say, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian because I have believed, as if there's some reward for us being so clever, or our hearts being so open, that our faith saves us. It's Jesus' blood that saves us. He has done it. Pastor Begg also, um, he illustrates this, and I, I, it's so good, I wish I had thought of it, but I, I have to try to uh, duplicate it for you now. He says, the classic example is that thief on the cross. Okay, Luke's gospel account tells us that one of the men crucified with Jesus repented and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus promises him that he will be with him in paradise. And Pastor Begg says, I, I can't wait to meet that thief. Can't wait to meet that man and say, you know, one minute you're, you're cursing the guy out and you know, you, you've never been to a Bible study, you, you, you don't know anything about Sunday school or church membership, nothing like that, and yet you made it. You made it. You got the, how did you get in? And he says, that's probably what the angel wondered too. You know, we all have the visions of the angels at the gate of heaven, and, and, and so the angel says to this thief on the cross, well, how did you get in? What are you doing here? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Because I don't know. So the angel has to call a supervisor because he doesn't know what to do. What do you mean you don't know? So the supervising angel comes and says, um, are, are you familiar with the um, doctrine of justification by faith? Never heard of it. Um, how about the doctrine of scripture? I don't even know what that means. Well, on what basis are you here? The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's a good answer, isn't it? The man on the middle cross said I could come. You know, once you take your eyes off of Jesus and look to yourself, you're going to have either two responses. You are either going to say, I am in deep trouble. I'm toast. How can I stand before God? That's a very reasonable response. 
Take your eyes off Jesus, put it on yourself. What have you got? Or you have other people who look at themselves and say, I'm actually pretty good. God's lucky to have me because I'm so righteous, which is nonsense. You don't want to take your eyes off of Jesus because it isn't by faith in him alone that we are saved. Now, Scripture makes clear that we are to believe, we are saved by faith, but also that we do good works, that we must do good works. And Jesus even says many times, but for example, the one who listens to my word but doesn't put it into practice is, is like a man who built his house on sand. Jesus says, by their fruit, you will know them. Jesus preaches parables even, where the good and the evil are separated even by what they have done. Paul talks about our justification and those who have done good will go to heaven and those who have done evil will go to hell. This confuses people. So wait, no, wait a minute. It's justification by faith, right? Faith alone, right? So what is this works? What are these good works? And it's all through scripture. Paul teaches several times, but particularly in Galatians 2, 16, Romans 3, 28, it is by faith alone that we are justified. Faith in Jesus alone. What's going on? Is it faith alone? Or is the Catholic Church right in what it still teaches? It is by faith plus what you do. The classic explanation for this is, we are justified by faith alone. But the faith that justifies is never alone. Let me repeat that. We are justified by faith alone. But the faith that justifies, the true faith, is never alone. So in other words, the believer does good works. And of course, we read that. I mean, John 14, 23, if anyone believes in him, my father and I will make our home in him. Ephesians 1, 13 tells us we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So when we become believers, we are transformed. We change. We, we, become, we start to become sanctified, and we will be doing good works that don't save us, but that accompany our faith. But here's the very interesting thing. James, in the first chapter, said, you know, true religion, it's taking care of widows and orphans. James talks about the tongue, the dangers of the tongue. He talks about widows. Uh, he talks about uh, the rich, the danger of the rich. He says many practical things in the book of James. But when you get to verses 15 and 16 from our passage, he said, now, Consider, let me, let me read it properly. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, be warm and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Do you know what he's saying? Many people read that and they say, Oh, we've got to feed the naked and clothe the Oh, no, let me try that again. We need to clothe the naked and feed the hungry. That's what we need to do. James would agree that's not what he's saying. That is not what he's saying. He says this. 
If you simply talk to somebody in need and say, have a good day. I hope all your needs are fulfilled. What good is that? James isn't actually talking about good works there. You know what he's talking about? Empty words. Our words are empty if we tell somebody in need, I hope everything works well for you, but we don't help them. Our words are empty. Now, let me show you more of what James is saying. He says, you know, you've got faith, I've got works. Let me show you faith by my works. And he gives two examples, two very interesting examples, Abraham and Rahab. Now, when you look at Abraham, understand again, he's 75 years old. And God comes to him and says, Abraham, I am going to give you all this land. I am going to cause multitude of descendants from your own body. You're going to have many, 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 many children. And I will bless you. At 75 years old, he's already old. His wife is already beyond childbearing. And Abraham waits 25 years before the promise is fulfilled. 25 years. He's now 100 years old. Okay, he's 100 years old when Isaac is born. Sarah is, is way, way beyond, and it's a miracle child. They praise God. Look what you've done. You've kept your promise, and God says, now kill him. Take your son, the one you love, and I want you to offer him. Now, friends, how many of you think that's a good work, sacrificing your son? I, I hope I see no hands. We do not call that a good work. James actually isn't talking about good works. That is not what he's talking about. I, I, I know Abraham is obedient. But do you know why he's able to obey? Do you know why? Hebrews 11 tells us why. In verse 19 of Hebrews 11, it says, He reasoned that God could raise the dead. So God has said, I'm going to give you many descendants, and now I'm going to take away the promises. You and I would say, if you do that, then all your promises fall apart. What? And Abraham doesn't seem to do this. Abraham is able to offer his son and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. At least that's what I think he's thinking. But you are God. You keep your promises. I'm going to do what you say. Is that faith? Oh, yeah. That is faith. Is it a good deed? No. It is not a good deed. Why do you think he uses Abraham as an example? It's such a great example. Why can Abraham do what he does? Because he believes. There's a big difference between good deeds, doing good deeds because you know you should, and doing a good deed or doing a deed that connects to your faith. In Matthew 11, verse 19, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and he says something interesting. He says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Now, do you remember what I told you justified means? To be declared righteous? Okay, to justify us means I declare you as righteous. That's not what Jesus means when he says wisdom is justified by her deeds. You know what it means? If I told you that I could lift 500 kgs, would you believe me? Would you? You're smart, okay? You shouldn't believe me, but what you should say is, 
David, let me see it. Justify your crazy claim. Justify it. Prove it. Demonstrate it. That's what Abraham's doing. Abraham is proving his faith by being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Not a good deed, but an act of amazing faith. If you're not convinced, he gives another example. Another very interesting example, Rahab the prostitute. Now we read about her in Joshua 2. And, and we see that she's a pagan woman. She's a prostitute, so you know what she does for a living. She, she lives at the gate, a very convenient place to live for a prostitute. The spies come into Jericho or around Jericho to, to, to check out what it's going to be like. How is God going to give us victory? And she, she allows them to come in. She shows them hospitality. Okay, that's a good deed. That's not the issue. What does she then do? She says, I know that God has given you this land. Your God is famous. I know he's going to give this land. When he does, save me. Save me. Rahab is a liar. She lies. Oh, no, no, the spies. Yeah, they were here. Yeah, but but they, they, went, they went out. Go, go after them quickly and you'll find them. What a lie. She betrays her whole country, okay? all of her people, by, saying, by allowing the spies to leave. She said, oh, no, no, I, I, they're, they're gone. She lies. She betrays. And we have all these people arguing among ethics. Is it sometimes okay to lie? That's not even the point. Can you think of a lie that demonstrates that you are a believer? I, I can't think of an example of that. Rahab's unique. Let's not even worry about her lie. Let's not even worry about her betrayal. What does she do? She takes a big step of faith. She says, your God is the true God. He's the God that has taken this land. Please save me. She wants to be among them. She wants to join the people of God. She does an act of faith. Very important to see that. Rahab demonstrates her faith by saving the spies and sending them out in secret. Abraham shows his faith by being willing to sacrifice his son. You and I, we don't fit into those categories so easily. We're not probably going to be asked to do something like that. We're told to obey, yes. But if this passage was about good deeds, good deeds, which, by the way, it never says good here, I think James would have picked different people. He could have picked Abigail and Ruth and Jonathan, but no, no, he picks these two people in these very unusual situations. Why? What we're being called to do is to act in a way that shows we believe. James is not talking about good deeds. He's talking about the faith that shows, that the words that show your action, deeds that show your action. Because if you have saving faith, it's going to affect everything in your life, or it should. It should come out in your life in different ways. Now, if I share food with you, if I give money at the intersections of many of our busy streets, and every busy street I come to, there's, there's the traffic light, the robot, as you call it, and there's somebody there begging with a sign all the time. If I give to them, that's a good deed. That's not an act of faith. Unless I give them all my money, then that might be an act of faith. No, 
we are called to invest our energy, our time, our money in what God sees as important. If my treasures are not here but in heaven, that's going to affect the way I live. I'm going to live in a way that says, I'm not going to build my treasures here. I'm building them in heaven. And we live that way. If I know God sees me as justified, if I know that God sees me as righteous because of Jesus, then I'm not going to be as concerned about what other people think about me if I know I'm in Christ. And I know that I have his righteousness. My reputation is not going to drive me in everything I do. If I have faith, I know that God can ask me to do anything, anything, and he will give me the power to do it. Is your faith in Jesus and nowhere else? Do you have the assurance that your sins are totally forgiven in Jesus and you have the righteousness of Christ? Do you believe that? Then we should be the most joyful people. We, we should have absolute peace and comfort and hope because we believe. Do you believe that God is working out everything for good in your life? Romans 8, 28. Do you believe he's totally in control? Then when tragedy happens, your faith will show in the way that you respond. Do you believe that one day you're going to see Jesus' face? And every single sorrow, every single pain, sickness, everything that was difficult is going to fade away. If you live like that, you are living out your faith. Saying, I, I know that this life is actually not that long. I am living in faith because I know what is in store for me when I see Jesus. If we think that way, we live out our belief. Our lives reflect the faith that we say we have. So let's live like God's promises are real in Jesus. Live in the hope that you will see every promise fulfilled in Christ, in this life and in the next. This is the hope-filled faith we have, which God speaks of. This is the kind of faith that unites us to Christ and causes him to delight in us. Believe, have faith, and let your faith show. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Our Father, as we listen to this word, we know that many of us struggle greatly with faith. Some of us may not even be sure we have this faith at all. There are certainly some here that have not bowed before your throne and have not received Jesus in their lives, acknowledging what he has done on the cross and saying, I trust in Jesus' righteousness and not my own, and I will live accordingly. Lord, for those that may be there, I pray, and I ask that you would open up eyes, ears, and hearts. For many of us who have professed faith, but may be wandering or not quite sure, just not living as if we do believe, draw us closer to yourself. Increase our faith as the apostles asked, 
make our faith genuine, that we would live out of it. So help us, Lord, to look at you on the cross, you alone, and then to live in response. And I pray this in the great name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.